Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. We actually have a very packed show for you today. So stick around. Stick around and see what we have to talk about. A lot of good uh, videos that I have for you. And I have a hell of an interview with two people who were also instrumental in being a part of that Georgia Senate win. They're going to tell you exactly what they had to do, what was going on, all that good stuff. So let's 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 have a good time and let's make sure and keep this stuff going, my dear friends. Keep this stuff going. Michael Rudden, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard as well, AVQ, Reach MCP. Michael Rudden says, Bill Pasquale Jr., today I'm calling on President Biden to fire the entire Postal Board of Governors for their silence and complicity in Trump and and the Joy's attempts to subvert the election and destroy the post office. Absolutely so agreed. There's a whole lot of Republicans who need to be fired, specifically those who attempted to subvert the election and those who incited January 6th uh, insurrection. New Jersey Congressman uh, calls for grand jury criminal probe of Trump's election subversion by mail. Right now, the difference between Democrats and Republicans is who they're trying to uplift. Democrats have a chance to be a party of the people Again, while Republicans play the obstructionism to put corporations above all, budget proposals require a simple majority to pass the Senate and Bernie's, the Budget Committee Chairman. Budget Chair Sanders dares, budget Chair Sanders dares GOP to criticize him for using reconciliation to protect ordinary people, not just the rich. And that is what we have to do. We have to remember Americans are in pain, and what we have to do is to make sure and just move forward. Bull forward. Today, what's the title of the show today? The title of the show today is Attempted Republican History Rewrite Stopped Cold. I was very impressed with the way the media took care of a whole lot of people trying to re to reimagine what republicanism has and had done over the last four years, over the last eight years, or hell, since Reaganomics. Republicans are trying to rewrite history and create, a and create false equivalences. The media is having none of it. Here is a team that also helped elect the Georgia senators. Georgia senators. Anyhow, folks, let's get busy with the first video on patriotic. I want to show you this because this is going to be interesting. Check this out. I think you're going to like this. It seems like regular, everyday Americans who want to protect their country, who don't want their country invaded, who don't want a coup, they're not going to allow the unpatriotic, seditious insurrectionists to hide. There's a new website out that is talking, that is exposing them. And, you know, I just read this article titled, Faces of the Riot website posts pictures of every person on video during the January 6th insurrection. And, uh, you know, the website has been up and down for a while. I, get, I imagine it is because of the... Um, the volume of people that are going to the website after they found it at the Daily Coast and other places. But then I went ahead and said, let me check to see if it's up. And you know what? It's up. It's called The Riot. The actual URL is facesoftheriot.com. I don't know why they chose that name. They should have said Faces of the Seditious Insurrection. That is what they should have called it. But they called it The Riot. Faces of the riot.com. And if you can if you take a look at the website, it's pretty cool. Every single person on the website is it's from the videos that they placed on places like uh 
uh, parlor and other thing, and then apparently they associated it with names, and they're telling you, don't try to confront these people. If you know these people, take go directly to the FBI and let them know these are the folks that were there at the insurrection. These are the folks who, uh, who apparently seem to have attempted to overturn our government to effect a coup in the name of Donald Trump. And it's pretty neat. You know, you can look every, to every face that you do. You can click on the face and it comes down with the video of the, uh, where, where the face is found. It is amazing technology that these guys have used uh, to equate everybody at the riot with information that was freely available on the internet that these guys posted themselves. Uh, this is what I call crowdsourcing democracy to protect our country from insurrectionists of the future. Because everybody's going to know now that even if they protect themselves by not taking videos themselves, that there's going to be somebody out there with video cameras. There are going to be installed cameras all over the place the way things work right now. Privacy, there's no privacy in America. But in this case, this may be a good thing to further protect us from this happening again or from anybody attempting to do this again in the fashion that Donald Trump attempted to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that we are safe from an, a, another overthrow attempt if we don't try to meet people where they are, if we, don't try to, uh, if we don't try to bring everybody into the fold, if we don't try to dispel the lies that the people on the right, the, right, the, uh, the lies that the plutocracy has instilled in these people's minds, if we don't finally come to the realization that we have to unite the ghettos, the barrios, and Appalachia. We have so much more in common than we have apart. What we don't have in common is what is anything with the masters who run the country. These are the people most of you don't see, but that many times are pulling the strings, many of those strings that are currently controlling the minds of just too many. Anyhow, folks, so I, I hope you like that now. Uh, this weekend, it was ripe with Republicans going on to different networks to really try to make their case, to really try to minimize all the evil that was done with an insurrection, with not treating people right, etc., with the kind of groups that were they were in or that they're in. And boy, oh boy, did they get it. Check this one out uh, with Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross really laid it on. Check it out. Unity requires atonement. And we haven't seen that from the unpatriotic, seditionist, insurrectionists, and their enablers at all. But what we're seeing is many of the hosts, not, not all of the mainstream media, but many are starting to hold them to account. And this interview between Tiffany Cross and this uh, former Republican uh, chair of, I think, South Carolina, really puts into play, put, uh, it's a good example of how you cannot let up and how you should interview people of this type, people who have, uh, have, have aggrieved many, people who's pol uh, who support policies within a party that is detrimental to most. I love exactly how uh, Cross handled it. Check this out. Let's take it on the other side. 
What happens to the Republican Party without their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump, in office? Where do Republicans go from here? Joining me now to try to answer that question is Kayton Dawson, Republican strategist at Mercury Public Affairs and former South Carolina GOP chair. In 2012, the GOP did an autopsy and they talked about some of the challenges, the shortcomings, trying to appeal to communities of color. I think we can both agree it's time for another autopsy. What Donald Trump did do for us, Tiffany, is bring nine million new people in the last election. We didn't win, but we had a lot of successes at the state level, like my home state of South Carolina. So what does the Republican Party do? But do you want those do? people? A lot of those people were like QAnon supporters and white supremacists. Are those the people that you want in the uh, GOP? Well, well, you can't. I mean, if we're going to do the litmus test and the quotas, we want people who are voting for, for, for our policies and, and the successes we had. Uh, Donald Trump's uh, uh, tenure in office, uh, certainly at times uh, uh, conducted himself differently than president we've ever had. But De Lindsey Graham's right. Definitely, if, if we illegally. If, if we well, want to forget how we got our successes and forget how the Republican Party got there, then we are going to be in, in, in the ash heap of political parties. The, the country's now split 50-50, just where the framers did. We, we, the country isn't split 50-50, though. I think uh, elected officials are split 50-50, but when you look at the country, it's quite not split 50-50. The Republican Party is increasingly becoming anachronistic in some of the conservative, as you call it, policies. There was a, a race in South Carolina, and you said the pro-life party, as you call them, is the strongest force in South Carolina. And so as we sit here and talk about an autopsy for the GOP, where does the pro-life party, as you call them, stand on this violent insurrection now that we have at least five dead bodies uh, on the floor? Well, the, the, the pro-life party is one that, 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 that is a movement that is consistent. It's consistently voted for the Republican policies and consistently been there. So certainly... Uh, you're not electorally going to leave them behind. And they also, if you look at our national platforms, they're there. That's a complete argument of pro-choice versus pro-life. But what about the racism? I mean, like, there, there is no question now. I think a lot of us have always known that the Republican Party, uh, you know, is an apologist, sympathizer, or perpetuator of racist policies. Where do you stand on that now? A disproportionate number of people of color watch this show. What do you say to the rising majority of this country who looks at this party and says, yeah, you're celebrating people who tried to seize the U.S. Capitol. You're saying Donald Trump is the face of your party. But a lot of the folks who are elected officials kowtow to him the entire time. How can you speak to the rising majority of this country and convince them that that is not your ideology? Or are you even interested in convincing them of that? Well, I think it's not a true statement that we're celebrating the people who attacked the Capitol. I mean, well, that, you look at Matt Guess, you look at uh, Lindsey Graham, I mean, you look at the people who sat on the floor, that, Jim Jordan, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who did a complete 180. What am I missing? Yeah, they weren't, you were missing that they weren't celebrating it. Those people will be held responsible. But what, what, what I think the question that you've asked is, is what do you think the future of the Republican Party is? And the future is going to be back in the states. And we've got 2022. With the House of Representatives coming up, we've got a challenge of, 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 of testing in two shots that the Biden administration is going to have to deliver. And those are the litmus tests that are going to be in front of us. Uh, what Donald Trump did do for the Republican Party is, and surprising is, he, he increased our minority participation further than I ever thought we would have seen. It. How that happened is up to another autopsy. 
But 9 million new folks was pretty important to us. Yeah, 9 million new folks who welcomed the QAnon supporter in the Capitol and members of Congress who are trying to bring guns on the House floor. I don't know if that's something to celebrate, quite honestly, Caden, but I do want to have you back on. Um, just one thing I want to point out. In 2008, you resigned from an all-white country club and preparing for the campaign to be a party chairman. And I think a microcosm of looking at the GOP is, did you not know it was an all-white country club before? So now this 11th hour appeal, I think, uh, leaves a lot of people in question. And I invite you back to have this conversation many more times, because I do think people of color would love to have this conversation uh, continue about how we move forward and unify the country. So thank you for joining me. I mean, and she does it with a smile and she completely fools you into just not seeing that she is completely decimating every look. Listen, she goes ahead and she points out, are those nine million people that that additional nine million people that came on? Did they come on for the right right reason? QAnon and all these these kind of folk. Then when he goes ahead and talks about, remember, this is a 50-50 country. No, this is not a 50-50 country. Because it's an undemocratic country, we have 50, a 50-50 split. But when it comes to the, what the people really want, it's not close to being a 50-50 country. And she points that out. Very important. She points out the anachronism of the conservative policies. She points out that, hey, how can you be pro-life and have an insurrection where people are killed? And then she says, wait a minute. Don't you remember? Uh, you, you always complain when, when we talk about racism in the Republican Party. But you were in an all-white country club. And as far as the people you support, the Jim Jordans and all these guys supported the insurrection. So... When she, I don't know if she's going to get him back on the show again, but every time we get the opportunity on, on, uh, on the progressive media, the independent media, when we get an opportunity to, give, to point out the true face of what the Republican Party now represents, when we have the opportunity to place that on the screen, it is a must that it is done. But additionally, as a Cross has done there, You have to do your homework. You have to understand how their policies are detrimental to the average American citizen, and you can't allow them to come and mislead or change the narrative. You dictate the narrative. And Tiffany Cross, in this piece, had complete control of the narrative and did not allow, not once, for the Republican strategists to get away we're trying to placate Americans or we're trying to misinform Americans. At every turn, she was ready for everything that he had to say. Absolutely, she was ready. Welcome aboard, Nanette Bird Smith. Lived it. Welcome aboard, Bobby Jean. Michael Rodney, I spoke to you already. British MCP, I spoke to you. ABQ, Daniel Lado, welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. John Cotter, welcome aboard. And of course, our good friend from London, Mark Smith, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else is here. Who else is here? Well, anyhow, let's go to the other video because, like I said, we're pretty darn packed, folk. Check out Jorg Stephanopoulos and what he did, uh, uh, what the panel did to good old Chris Christie. Let me show you what journalism looks like. Let me show you what not allowing folks to say there are two sides to a story looks like. George Stephanopoulos, kudos on this one. 
Senator Paul, let me begin with a threshold question for you. Uh, this election was not stolen. Do you accept that fact? Well, what I would say is that the debate over whether or not there was fraud should occur. We never had any presentation in court where we actually looked at the evidence. Most of the cases were thrown out uh, for lack of standing, which is a procedural way of not actually hearing the question. I, I have, have to, to stop affirm. you there. there no, no, no election is perfect, but there, there were 86 challenges filed by President Trump and his allies in court. All were dismissed. Every state certified the results dismissed, after investigations not, not for, not for, count. Yeah, but, after but not Investigations, counts, and recounts. The De Department of Justice, led by William Barr, said there's no widespread evidence of fraud. Can't you just say the words that this election was well, not what stolen? I would suggest is, what I would suggest is that if we want greater confidence in our elections, and 75% of Republicans agree with me... Well, 75% of Republicans agree with you because they were fed a big lie by President Trump and his supporters who say the election was stolen. Why can't you say well, I think where President you make, Biden I think, won I think where you make a mistake and Where you make a mistake is that people coming from the liberal side like you, you immediately say everything's a lie instead of saying there are two sides to everything. Historically, what would happen is if I said that I thought there was fraud, you would interview someone else who said there wasn't. But now you insert yourself in the middle and say the absolute well, fact is that everything I'm saying is a lie. Well, because, I say Senator, I said what the president said was a lie because to. he said, hold we're on a second. To. He said the election was stolen. This election was not stolen. This the results were certified in every you're single was, state you're saying, after counts saying, and recounts. You're saying there was no fraud and it's all been investigated. That's just not true. So it's not what I said, sir. I said the Department of Justice found no evidence. Let me, Let me finish. finish my point. You, say you said something lie. that was you, not true. You say we're all liars. You're just simply saying we're all liars. And I said it was a lie that the election was stolen. Premise that you're right and we're wrong. There is no widespread evidence of election fraud that overturned the results. That was stated as well by the Department of Justice led by President Trump's Attorney General. In Wisconsin, there were counts and recounts. Actually, was the election never results that, even were that's certified. Not true. Even that's not true. Even William Barr said that Barr directly. said that, but there was, yes, he said that, yes, that was a pronouncement. There has been no examination, thorough examination of all the states to see what problems we had and see if they could fix them. Now, let me say, to be clear, I voted to certify the state electors because I think it would be wrong for Congress to overturn that. But at the same time, I'm not willing just to sit here and say, oh, everybody on the Republican side is a liar and there is no fraud. And I won't be cowed by people saying, oh, you're a liar. That's the problem with the media today is they say all Republicans are liars and everything we say is a lie. There are two sides to every story. There are not two sides to the story. This has been looked at every single state. The election oh, sure there are. certified there in are every two sides to every state. story. George, you're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting who you are as a journalist. If you think there's only one side, you're inserting yourself into the story to say I'm a liar because I want to look at election fraud and I want to look at secretaries of state who illegally change the voter laws without the permission of their state legislatures. You're inserting yourself into the story. A journalist I'm, would hear both sides and there are two sides to this I'm story. I'm standing by facts. There are not two sides to fact. I did not say there, that this was <laughs> perfect election. I said it was the results were certified. I said it was not stolen. It is You're a lie to say people are liars. You're stolen. saying people Oh no, Rand Paul is upset that uh, George Stephanopoulos is not going to allow two sides to a story that doesn't have two sides. 1 plus 1 is 2. If one side says 1 plus 1 is 3, do we report the side that says 1 plus 1 plus is 3 because we have some sort of a false journalistic standard that says, he says, she says, absolutely not. That is what was wrong with journalism under Donald Trump. They wanted to give both sides however wrong one side was equal hearing. 
And in giving that plausibility, it created a monster. Now, Donald Trump and his posse, yes, they're responsible for that unpatriotic, seditious insurrection. That is true. But it they, they could only amass the people they had because journalism, the old tenets of journalism, where the journalist stays put, and he lets one side say their piece and the other side say their piece and they don't analytically say that side is lying to you people. That is what created this great monster of a group of less educated folk who depend on what they think the fourth estate is supposed to provide them and believe that the things emanating from Donald Trump and the Republican Party, notice I'm not talking about Republicans proper, and the Republican Party, the lies that they're putting out to, to, to give plausibility to the bad policies they, they come up with, that is what journalism left us. But the mainstream media, many of them, are trying to correct for the mistake that they've made. They can't do it 100%. Why independent media is still needed badly, but at least they're trying. At least they're trying. At least they're trying. This next one is where the... I, I, I skipped one. I, I went in out of order. This particular one now is where Chris Christie gets the, the entire panel made it clear that Chris Christie was just full of it. Uh, welcome, Lived It. Will, will Lived It put a message in there twice that I think I better read because... Um, I think he wanted to make sure that everybody hear it. There were those last year who laughed and joked at the call of for righteous anger against fascism. Now we saw the capital stormed by Nazis. Where's all the snickering now? Hey, lived it. You nailed it. Lived it. Let me tell you again. You nailed it. All right, let's go to the other video. We cannot allow the right-wing Republican leadership to equate what occurs, the insurrection and all those, all the violence by the right-wing militias and the right-wing uh, white uh, supremacists to somehow have the equivalent of the protests that we're doing for Black Lives Matter, the protests that we're doing to, for equal justice, etc. We cannot allow them to create that false equivalency. And what was so good, was to see an entire panel on this week stand up against that fallacy. Check this out. This was beauty in action. We have to have an insight into the truth before we get to reconciliation and healing. You agree with that, Rahm Emanuel? 100%. When somebody is running around the Capitol with t-shirts that say Camp Auschwitz, Confederate flags, six million wasn't enough. I'm sorry, there is not a statute of limitation when it comes to defending the Constitution. And we, if you have a wound in the body, in the body politic, it must be disinfected to be clean. And this story is going to get worse as time goes on, and that's what Mitch McConnell knows. It is not going to get better in the next three to four weeks. Information is not static here. And you're going to find out that the President of the United States was more than just encouraging from the sidelines what happened here, and Republicans in Congress. And if we are going to move forward in some sense as a country, you must come to terms with a President of the United States who encouraged people who are walking around with T-shirts that said Camp Auschwitz. 
where one of the greatest horrors against humanity was committed. And I'm sorry. You can't have a process point which says, well, he's out of office. To the Democrats, I would argue it's not just about the conviction. It's about focusing that he can never run again for office and that that is because of what he done and he has to both be morally judged and then politically and legally judged. And that could be a resolution on the 14th Amendment. Chris Chris, it does seem like more and more Senate Republicans are coalescing around a process argument that it's not constitutional to try a former president. Is that enough of an exit ramp? Well, we're going to see, George, uh, based upon some of what Rob just said, depending upon how the facts. Again, I go back to let's see what the facts are. But what we also need to remember here, too, and this is going to be the challenge for President Biden in terms of bringing the country together. Um, all the things that Rob just said are absolutely right in terms of what happened up on Capitol Hill. It's inexcusable. Um, I said that I said it was impeachable um, and that these things are just wrong. But also, the violence that's happening in other parts of the country are wrong too, George. And the president needs to speak out about both. You can't just continue to talk about what happened on Capitol Hill, which deserves to be spoken about and all the facts need to come out and those that are responsible need to be held responsible criminally and politically. But so does the violence that's happening in other parts of the country as well, George. And we cannot allow that to be two different standards. Um, and so one of the challenges for the president is going to be for him to speak very clearly when there are other violent acts that continue to go on in the country and to be able to say that's wrong too. Peaceful protest is one thing. Violence that destroys lives, destroys property, and destroys the peaceful enjoyment of our country is also wrong, just as wrong as what happened on Capitol Hill okay. on January 6th. What I would say here, uh, first of all, the president has spoken that there's no place for violence. But what I will reject is the idea that somehow what happened in Portland is morally equivalent to, where, to literally a Confederate flag and six million is not enough. One is defending the Constitution and the country and the organizing principles and values of this country and also prosecuting people who created property crimes. And if you draw a moral equivalence, what? you're morally lost. Margaret? One of the things okay. I'm looking forward to in the Biden era is to the, the cessation of the whataboutism that we had, we were so addicted to in the Trump era. Well, if, well, if they're doing this, what about this? You know what? Let's not do whatabouts. Let's separate them. There was an insurrection on the Capitol that the President of the United States actually encouraged and, and, and pointed his supporters to. We can deal with that in its own vessel and then separately deal with other acts of violence. They are separate. There is no whataboutism here. And we can do all of it. Uh, and and I, what I will say about the impeachment is, is just give it time to have a fair and, and timely and open, uh, transparent process. And the American people and the Senate may very well do exactly the right thing, which is truth and justice that can then lead to reconciliation. Let Matt go, and then you So, so I'll but the, it, it is incredibly frustrating to listen to so many Republicans talk about why isn't Biden talking about this, and why isn't Biden, and we need unity, and we need healing, and we need fiscal level of responsibility. I mean, it is the triple crown American pharaoh level of hypocrisy and dishonesty after what we've witnessed the last four years in division, in polarization, and no condemning of white supremacists and white nationalists throughout uh, throughout many Republicans who have enabled this. So just give me a break about calling Joe Biden out for any of this right now because of what happened over the last four years. Give me a break about what what you saw Donald Trump doing the in, when he incite peop, incited people to do all kinds of stuff throughout this country throughout his four years. And you're going to now talk about uh, El Senor Biden going ahead and needing the kinds of protests that this country does need 
to finally get its act together on social justice, economic justice, and racial justice? As he said, give me a break. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies. Okay, I hope you like that. Now, uh, welcome. Ab- I think I just saw somebody new. That's why I was kind of late in clicking, clicking off. Lee Grant. Lee Grant says, Tacoma went nuts last night. Lee Grant, I think in that Chris Christa piece, you got the explanation for that. But anyhow, let's do this real quick. We're at the half hour mark. Please remember, folks, we do need your support. Please, if you are on, fa- on, on, uh, on YouTube right now, please click that green button. Become a part of our posse. We also refer to as uh, uh, Bridge MCP's PDR Posse. She's the one who named it. Uh, if you're not on YouTube, you can still get to our YouTube Posse. By our PDR posse by going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Again, that is politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Alternatively, you can support us at Patreon. That is politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Again, Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And of course, we ask you, you see that book on the screen? It's worth it. How to Talk to Your Right Wing uh, Family, Friends, and Neighbors. It's a good book. Been, uh, people been liking it. Reviews have been very good. Please check it out. That, that's the link at Amazon. But if you want to cut out the middleman, you can also get it at our store, politicsdoneright.com slash store. We're going to get back into the interview right now, politicsdoneright.com slash store. Folks, we couldn't do this without you. Anyhow, check out this interview, and then we'll be back on the other side. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Ryan McBerto Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. You know, we just had a great win in Georgia, but that didn't happen by magic. That didn't happen because... You know, oh, it was Donald Trump that, you know, a lot of people out there are trying to say Donald Trump was a bad guy. And because he was a bad guy, his people didn't show up. And that's not the case. The case is a hell of a lot of people did a hell of a lot of work. They were on the ground and we had people from all faiths, all religions, all ethnicities. They were out there in Georgia doing their stuff. And today I'm honored to have two of the people of organizations that were out there doing real work, the people that made it happen. Patrick Carolyn and Tanya K. Robinson, thank you so kindly for appearing on Politics Done Right. Uh, ladies first, Tanya, how are you doing today? I am doing well. This is the first full week of a new administration, and um, I coming off a high, definitely well, feeling that, great. That is great. I know you're feeling great, especially I think you are from Georgia. Is that correct? I am. I am. I live in the metro Atlanta area. So we were on the ground and doing a lot of the work. So, so this this election of the first black senator and the first Jewish senator materially, you actually materially can assimilate that. Yes, yes. I, I, I bubbled in the name. So bubble in the name. <laughs> yes, and of course, and of course, we're here with my good friend who is with who is a damn good friend of politics done right. A guy that I really love works hard in the movement. Patrick, what's up? Hey, how are you today, brother? It's good to see you. Great seeing you too, man. Great seeing you too. I'm glad for all the work you guys are doing. You guys made you guys made everything politics done right's been saying for, for years actually materialize so thank you for what you guys are did out thank there you. you know let me just say um because i know you uh, uh interviewed my son recently my yes son, my son and my son lives in savannah 
And so he had called me on the night of the uh, Georgia election to say how excited he was that a black man who was from Savannah was elected to the U.S. Senate. It said, you know, it gives him hope that that there's possibilities for him going forward, not necessarily to run for Senate or anything like that, but just for whatever, that a poor a person who grew up, poor black person in, in Savannah was able to win the election. And then my daughter, who's black and lives in Charleston, get, had, uh, had the same conversation with her after the presidential election about how excited she was that a black woman was going to be the vice president and what that meant for her. Yeah, I mean, things are things are genuinely changing. And, you know, a lot of the pushback that we're seeing January 6th, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's sort of the last grasp of uh, white supremacy, the last grasp of all these the negativity that, you know, that we had from the formation of this country. And it's a good thing. You have good people like Patrick, good people like Tanya out there making it happen. So, I mean, I love it. Anyhow, you guys work together in Georgia. So Patrick, tell me a little bit about how y'all got together. So I was, as you know, I was part of the uh, Catholics for Biden campaign and we had um, organized uh, a lot of Catholics around the country and states. Um, we didn't organize in Georgia though. Um, we really, um, though my other organization, Bull Common Good, did do some work in Georgia during the campaign. But for Catholics, we kind of left Georgia alone. We were more focused on states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, states like that, that there was a heavy, uh, large white Catholic population in those states. So after the election, a small group of us started talking and we decided we needed to stay together for the future. You know, we can't wait for till three months before an election to start trying to organize Catholics. We got to start now organizing for 2022. And then we just had a conversation one, one day and we said, well, what about Georgia? And none of us really you know, had a connection. I did for my son, but not real connections to political people or a large Catholic uh, group in Georgia that we could reach out to. So we sent a simple email out to folks who had signed up for Catholics for Biden we said, we're going to do a call on Tuesday night if anybody's interested in getting together and organizing um, Catholics in Georgia. And we got about 40 people on that call. The first shot, 40. That yeah. is great. Yeah. That is and great. we just kept going for five weeks. Um, we had no money. Um, you know, we weren't there, so we couldn't do the work. We just kind of helped organize the folks like Tanya and others who did the work. Um, and for five weeks, we, we met every week. We talked. Our group grew at one point. A group from the CME church joined us and they said, we want to work with you all. We've heard what you're doing and we want to work with y'all. So it became Catholics and CMEs working together, um, did some really exciting stuff. And I'll let Tanya talk more about that. Um, um, but we did some really exciting things. And for me the most, I mean, other than the most exciting thing was obviously winning the Georgia election. The second most exciting thing, and I'll let Tanya take it from here, was this group in Georgia has now decided to stay together and create a Georgia Catholics for Common Good organization to go forward. And so I'll, I'll so Tanya, tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about, first of all, what you thought about uh, meeting these guys from the Northeast that are going to, these Catholics from the Northeast <laughs> that are going to be coming down here to the South to, to kind of, uh, you know, be a part of the team that's going to bring it home. Tell us a little bit about first about how you guys met and what you thought about meeting the very first time. Certainly. Well, I was very excited. I'm actually originally from the Northeast. I'm a New Yorker, if you can't hear the accent. 
So, oh, yeah. well, you know, you don't know <laughs> where anybody's from. But I've been in Atlanta for over 20 years. I, I came directly out of school, Syracuse University, moved here right out of college. And so I've been here a long time. And so definitely seen a lot of the changes that have happened. And actually, for me, uh, getting involved with the group was actually kind of through the CME group, even though I am Catholic. Um, I, uh, the, the chair of our African-American caucus for the Democratic Party of Georgia is, is very active in the CME church. And we had our weekly meetings. We had weekly meetings um, just to discuss the election and anything that we needed to do for the runoff. And she mentioned that there was a Catholics for Biden group and a Catholic group that was working to uh, help out with the runoff. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm Catholic because I think a lot of us here, um, they, there's not a lot of talk about um, social issues or, or political issues within the church. And so sometimes you feel like you're alone or you're in a silo. And so that just piqued my interest. And so I joined into a Zoom call and started doing the uh, prayers. We started having a prayer uh, for nine days before the runoff election and just got a chance to meet all of the great people um, that were working there. Um, I have, I'm actually a state committee member for the Democratic Party of Georgia. I'm a post seat holder in my county. And so um, I have been involved um, for a while, but, but kind of ever involved as a Catholic group, you know, and understanding that there were others that had the same mindset as me and that we can get together and, and build a coalition and build awareness. And I think that as other people realize, yes, there are people that have the same um, mindset as me, hopefully we can get some more folks together. So we are actually starting, we just got the email, starting the uh, Catholics uh, for the common good here in Georgia so that we can continue the work because really, yes, we have feel like a weight has been lifted off of us and we, we did some great, great work, but there's still a lot of work to be done. This year we have local elections, municipal elections, and then obviously in 2022, we have our state and also um, our, our, our congressional elections going. So really it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we have to keep our foot on the pedal. Um, don't put anything on the gas. This is an ongoing process that we have to keep people engaged, keep people working. Um, you know, what we did was basically just, you know, meeting people where they are, knocking on doors, waving signs, making phone calls, sending text messages, and really getting the word out that um, your vote does count and your vote can make a difference. Now, Tanya, what is very interesting is, uh, first of all, I was surprised when you said you were knocking on doors. So you guys <laughs> did go out with your masks on and you were knocking on doors and talking to yeah. people. Yes, I actually served as the regional coordinator for my county here in Cobb County for the Working Families Party. Mm -hmm. We're actually a, a, a party that's- Oh, I know who they are. In fact, I know the, yes. the, the, the guy who yes. runs it out of uh, New York. Yes, Maurice. yes. Maurice. Yeah. Yes, we had a call with him. Yeah, it's a big, it, they, they do have different silos of parties in New York where you can vote for a candidate on the Working Families Party, on the Democrat Party, et cetera. We don't really have that here in Georgia. It's pretty much Republican or Democrat. Right. They're really trying to build that coalition here in Georgia and get the word out. And so we were out there um, as regional coordinator. I had a group of maybe about 10 to 15 paid canvassers. Um, that were out in my county and we had coordinators for each county in each area across the state that was actually yeah putting on the masks putting putting the uh the the sanitation sanitizer on their hands and standing back six feet and talking to people at the doors about our endorsed candidates which were uh Raphael Warnock and we also had a statewide 
public utilities commissioner uh, race that was uh, here in Georgia. And then also obviously making sure that they voted down the ticket um, and getting that done. Before I get into a, a few social issues, let me ask uh, Patrick this. Patrick, I, I think uh, this, this symbiotic relationship between these Catholic organizations across the board, you're gonna maintain that relationship uh, to elect people throughout the country, is that correct? Yes, so, so our goal is the folks that were part of the Catholic for Biden uh, campaign is to build a Catholic organization um, like we're doing in Georgia, we're working with the Georgia folks on, and, and states across the country. Um, you know, I don't like to use the term pro progressive conservative, but it would be more of a progressive Catholics. And part of it, and I think Tanya really hit, hit the nail on the head to use a really um, um, torn, uh, well-used analogy. Um, when she said that part of the goal was to just let Catholics know that there's other Catholics that think like her think like me. Um, for a lot of Catholics, and that was part of our Catholics for Biden campaign, was just to give Catholic permission to say, yes, I can vote for the Democrats. There are other issues. Not that abortion is not an important issue. It's an issue we need to have discussions about, but it's not the only issue. There are other issues like racism, like immigration, like the climate that are equally as important. And it's okay for Catholics to come together and talk about all of these issues and vote based on your conscience. That's clearly what Pope Francis teaches us. It's what a number of the bishops like my friend John Stowe in Kentucky has, has written and talked about. So our goal going forward is to build that organization for the 2022 and 2024 election so that we have Catholics for Common Good groups in every all 50 states. And then, you know, as part of the work I've done with Vote Common Good, I'm still involved with them. They're doing the same work on with the evangelical communities. And we're working, we're doing this collaboratively with Catholic and evangelicals to build a new faith organization that understands social justice and works in social justice. You know, um, whenever you, whenever, it's funny because uh, you're talking about Catholic organizations and Catholic, or, one of the things, the tenets of the Catholic faith is, yes, they, they pretty much, uh, the tenet is that sort of anti abortion uh, and interestingly what I find is that uh, many of those who just take that stance and I, I don't take a stance I'm not a woman I don't take that a stance on that mm -hmm. at all uh, but that said it's amazing that there's so much interest placed in the woman's womb and so little placed on the what comes out of the womb and the development of what comes out of the womb thereafter and and, and I, I hope I trust that when you're given your Catholic message that that is actually a part of it as well, because there's so much emphasis on the womb and so little emphasis on the infrastructure that's needed to develop what comes out of the womb. But you know, and let me just comment on that because um, I've written about that. I've written mm -hmm. a number of pieces, and you know, we could have another discussion just about that at another right. time. But the issue on abortion is that in, you know, and I understand uh, my perspective, other people's perspectives uh, who may think it's wrong, but we're not doing anything to end abortion or to reduce the number of abortions. The funding Planned Parenthood, the only thing the funding Planned Parenthood is gonna do, it's gonna do two things. It's gonna take away healthcare for poor women and it's gonna increase the abortion rate because it'll take away birth control for poor right. women. And so let's have a discussion about what, how we can reduce the number of abortions. What are some of the steps we can take? And that means taking care of children after they're born. That means having good family leave policies 
So when women do have babies, they don't have to rush back to work so they can pay the bills. Um, having uh, family leave policies so men can stay home. I actually was a stay-at-home dad for a couple of years, taking care of my children. Let's start to develop those programs that will help reduce the number of abortions. That's Patrick, a discussion we should be having on abortion. Patrick, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You and I can discuss what happens after, uh, after that baby exits the womb, but Tanya and, and the others who yes. carry the baby yes, are the ones absolutely. who discuss what happens in the womb because we don't yes. have much, much place there. Now, Tanya, um, I tell, yes. yeah, Tanya, now tell me a little bit about um, your feeling. Now, this is more on a personal level because... I remember when Barack Obama got elected. It's not that it's it's not that black people or Latinos or whatever don't have self confidence in in that they are just as worthy, but just seeing people elevated to positions they weren't there before. I remember for Barack Obama what it did for me, and I was never a shy person, but I remember what it did for me. What did seeing uh, Warnock? do for you? What did seeing another ethnicity as well, let's say, um, uh, Asaf, do for you? Um, I just think it was great because I think it also is, we were there, you know, we were at these events, you know, when I actually ran for office last year as well for state senate here in Georgia. And so several um, events that I attended locally in my county, I'd end up sitting next to John Asaf. And so each other we'd be like we got to keep stop meeting like this you know <laughs> that, that personal interaction with them I worked with on the Warnock campaign um, and really got to get you know intimate with the the, the details of the campaign so I think it it gives it a, a different twist when you actually see all the work that you've done and those people winning and the fact that now in 2021 or 2020 um, we're still having firsts um, like our first woman African-American, Asian, uh, Indian uh, vice president um, have a lot of work to do. Yes, we can celebrate and, and definitely be excited and be happy um, for these um, accomplishments. But because we're still having firsts here in the 21st century, that means we have a lot of work to do. I have a 13-year-old daughter. So she was born in 2007, which means all she really knew was Barack Obama. Obama yes years old and we were looking sitting watching a show or something and he came on the tv and she goes oh that's obama you know and she was two yeah. years old and then to go from that to having the president that we just had four years ago i think it was really a, a, a culture shock for her because that's all she really knew right but going through this process and seeing the work that i was doing and she was out with me too sometimes doing this stuff and oh she cannot vote she said to me, mom, I really see now what voting means and I cannot wait till I turn 18. Um, and so she, you saw a, a Kamala Harris get elected. You saw Reverend Warnock, first black senator, uh, um, uh, John Ossoff, first Jewish senator. And then even also to see the appointed first Hispanic senator in California and see the three of them standing together being sworn in. It's momentous, it really is. And I must add that Joe Biden himself is a Catholic president. Right. Second Catholic president. I think the first one since Kennedy, right? 
Kennedy. Yes. Kennedy was the yes. first and he's the second. And he's also our first Syracuse alumni. To- <laughs> he graduated and, from Syracuse Law School. So I had to the oldest man that, my orange. <laughs> and the oldest man out there to have and, uh, become president, which is a good thing. And, you know, and, and collective. So which is a which is a good thing. One one last question uh, to you before I ask you what I didn't ask. And that is um, Stacey Abrams. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. You go from there. <laughs> awesome. She is the example of what taking a, for lack of a better word, a, a, a defeat or a setback mm-hmm. and setting up for a comeback. Okay? So she's going to governor. I'm not saying about governor. I'm talking about the work that she's done. I know. This- but I'm saying, I I don't know. I I hope she does. Yeah, I think it is. I think um, one of the reasons, you know, I don't think she got her due for the win, for the two wins, for the two senatorial wins. Uh, And I think many times I've seen, I've done it on my show and many others have seen many women on MSNBC and CNN I've seen made the corrections to make people understand. It isn't that Trump was so bad that we lost. It was mm-hmm. that you all, yes, the Tanya Robinsons, the Patrick Carolins were so good. That is yeah. why they won. Yeah. So we all, America, let me tell you something. Let, let me do a little preaching here. America <laughs> owes a debt to guys like you all because no. you all saved America. I'm telling you, people don't look at it that way. When we didn't have the Senate, we knew one thing. That we knew what was going to come out of Congress. Nothing. Nothing. We still don't know what's going to come out of Congress. But because you all are there, we know that you all can effect change in this particular Congress. So from politics done right and all our people, I want to thank you all. So before I go, however, I, and, and Patrick should know this. So I hope you're prepared, Patrick. I always <laughs> ask a special question and I'm going to ask him first. What didn't I ask you that you wished I had asked you. Um, well, you didn't ask me about like who's going to win the Super Bowl, but uh, <laughs> well, you, can, you can add that to the answer, Patrick. You right. know? <laughs> but I think, um, you know, and let me just, uh, before I answer your question, let me just say how grateful I am to Stacey Abrams and how she inspired all of us to go forward and, and to do, and, and also taught us how it can be done. Um, I mean, Georgia is such a special case because Nobody thought Georgia, nobody thought Joe Biden could win Georgia. Absolutely not. Even leading up to the election, nobody thought Joe Biden was going to win Georgia. Nobody thought those two people were going to win the Senate seats in Georgia. And Stacey Abrams is the one who we followed in her footsteps. I'm just, you know, and, and to go through what she went through and lose her election um, and then to just pick herself up and go back out and fight again. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, want, I just want to make sure that people understand that's the model we have to do um, going forward. I, th- I think the question that, that we all have to ask ourselves is, and particularly as a Catholic leader and an activist, um, what is it, what does my faith mean to me, you know, and, and what can I do as a Catholic going forward so that, that our faith does really mean something? that the message that Jesus taught us about justice and about peace is actually a meaningful message. It's not just some words on a paper that we say on Sunday mornings at church. It's something that we live our lives and our lives are centered on. That's what we have to be going forward with. Um, And that's what, you know, our plan is 
with Catholics um, for Common Good is how do we take that message for Jesus that Jesus taught us that, you know, as part of a Franciscan family, it's the message that St. Francis of Assisi lived going forward to bring about the change that is necessary. I wrote a piece recently um, about people talk about, um, you know, we can't wait to get back to normal. And I wrote a piece that said, we don't want to go back to normal. Normal wasn't good. Here's why normal wasn't good. We need to be out there creating a new normal. And that's what we have to start working to do. Not at the election's over. We got to start going forward, creating a new normal. That's a normal that embraces everyone, cares for everyone, that we're, we're all brothers and sisters. So that's my preaching. And Patrick, that is the reason why you are on Politics Done Right so Thank many you. times, because that inspiration is what America needs to hear. Same question for you, Tanya. What question? I think um, now that we're going more into the local mode this year, um, what local issues, um, specifically here in Georgia, um, do we need to tackle? Um, and I think um, in starting our group, uh, Catholics for the Common Good here in Georgia, I think what we really want to do is back um, candidates and, and folks that believe in we and not me. Um, here in Georgia, we have the worst, and if we want to talk about and pivot off of abortion and talk about having babies, we have the worst mater Black maternal mortality rate in the country worse than some third world nations. And I'm actually also a member of um, Delta Sigma Theta. We're actually putting on a, a program in April during Black Maternal Mortality Week to bring this to light to a lot of women that are ch of childbearing age. Why do we have this? Because many women in the state of Georgia, and we're very, uh, I think, spoiled living in Metro Atlanta, but we have to realize that Georgia is a lot more than Metro Atlanta. And there are counties that don't even have one doctor or one OBGYN in the whole county. Why? Because our state legislature does not want to expand the Affordable Health Care Act and provide Medicaid and Medicare to these places so that doctors can open up clinics and things like that. We have an issue with, with broadband and, and internet access in our state. Um, and that was the reason why we wanted to elect our first African-American Democrat statewide elected public service commissioner, amongst other things in our environment. But to offer this because we see in this COVID world that kids are at home, you know, and they don't have access to get the, 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 the uh, instruction that they need because they don't have access to quality broadband. Um, we have a lot, we have legislators now that are trying to restrict our votes now because we won, because... Mm -hmm split the, the they're trying to take away our drop boxes yes they are we can't do uh, absentee voting so there's a lot of work that we want to do this year um, to bring forth um, you know the ideals and the principles that we believe as Catholics and we believe as believers that is for the we and not the me so. Patrick Carolyn Tanya Robinson thank you so kindly for yeah. having appeared on Politics Done Right. It was my honor to have both of you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you. We spent well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed having Patrick. You know, Patrick, is, this is about the fourth time Patrick came on with his son before. He came on and several times talking about the good, word, good work the Franciscans do all around this country. He's an activist of activists. And, you know, I, 
I give that I give that name to a whole lot of people who are out there in the field because you know it's not one person. Many people I'm looking at I'm looking in here in even our feed here. I see folks like John Cotter who really did a hell of a lot of work to make sure that uh, progressive values won out this election. I see my brother uh, 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 Reynolds, who put his money where his mouth is with bringing, uh, bringing people into the fold all over the county and doing some of the work. And do, you know, I'm looking at people. I see guys like uh, Michael Rodnan that is constantly informing. Bridge MCP, informing. You guys keep up the work. All of us in here are activists. I see my conservative brother, Eric Hayes, trying to get information, just trying to figure out how are things really working. Hey, let me tell you something, guys. It's, com- it's all about communication, right? It's not about, it's not about all of us agreeing on everything 100% of the times, right? It's about if, if, all, if what we want is to move our peers forward so that we can be, so that everybody can have a good life. We can argue, we can discuss, we can debate the best way to do it. And you know what? You're not going to win all of the time. In fact, I want to win all of the times with my progressive stance in doing things. But I know it's not going to happen, right? I'm willing to compromise a few things. You better be as well. That's what we do. That's why we're America. That is what the insurrectionists didn't want. They wanted to go out there and say, no, we're doing it this way, even as the things that they support will hurt not only themselves, their families, their folks, but that's why we're here to inform. Look, look, I, I, I appreciate your ears. I appreciate your eyes. I appreciate your fingers being here. I appreciate you doing what you're doing. Thank you so kindly for being here. Folks, go get my book. It's, uh, let's see. Let me put the link in there again. Uh, that's the Amazon link for my It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Neighbors. If you want to get rid of the middleman, go to our store, get a few stuff. It is politicsdoneright.com slash store. politicsdoneright.com slash store. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.